Hi, welcome to Revenue Marketing Television, the CMO Insight Series. I'm your host, Jeff Pedowitz, President and CEO of the Pedowitz Group. Today as our guest, we have Stephanie Cox, who is Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Lumivate. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. So first and foremost, Lumivate, pretty cool platform, doing a lot of stuff in the mm -hmm. mobile space. Tell us more about it. Yeah, we are a platform that enables marketers to build apps without code. So one of the things that we've seen in the market, and a lot of times in my history, I've been doing this for almost 20 years now, is you typically have to rely on developers um, or agencies to, or even, even your internal resources to build your mobile apps. And what people don't realize is that is a very expensive endeavor and that there are solutions now out there that empower you to go ahead and build those apps for your, yourself without code. And that could be, you know, whether that's your own internal team, whether that's your agency that uses the platform on your behalf, but it allows you to move so much faster than what you've seen in the past. So is this something that many B2C marketers do, or do you see a need also in the B2B space as well? Yeah, so we've seen it across both B2B and B2C, and we also see a lot in the B2B2C where you have B2B businesses that sell into like dealer networks as an example, and they wanna provide a highly personalized mobile experience maybe per dealer. Um, but we also see in the B2B space, people are using it as unique ways to create customer specific or prospect specific um, apps, you know, especially around ABM campaigns has been another, another big one. And then also around just like internal productivity is a big way that people use our platform as well. Well, there's so many channels now that are coming online digital world. Uh, I know a lot of marketers still want to use email. But uh, we, we do see the mobile device, it's indispensable, right? So mm -hmm. there are some ways that marketers then use the apps to engage their customers. Yeah, so one example that we have, um, Trincara Wines, which is the fourth largest wine company in the world, they are using it um, to create a really engaging an aisle experience or like an at-home experience where you can actually scan the label and it'll tell you really what you know, how those grapes were used to create that wine, what are some great food recipe pairings. So it's kind of like an engaging experience that also provides content. Um, that's one example. We also, you know, on the flip side have, you know, businesses like Roche, where they're using our platform to power all of their employee communications. So really wide variety of um, different ways that they're using mobile. But to your point is that everyone's on their mobile device more time, more often than we probably would like to admit. And Apple reminds me about every Sunday. Um, but that's where people are. And so why aren't we creating solutions to meet them on the device that they use the most? Makes a lot of sense. Uh, and we see some of um, our employees and their kids saying two or three years old, they're, they're already experts and whizzes at the smartphone. It's, yes. You just think of it, they, you take it for granted, but these kids mm -hmm. that grow up with technology become second nature. And then these are the kids that we're gonna be marketing and selling to, right? In the near future, as they start yeah. coming to the workforce. So, uh, this the, your title, running sales and marketing. I mean, it's uh, well, not a lot of marketers necessarily going on to running sales and marketing. So, how did you find yourself going in this direction? It's funny if you would have asked me like five years ago or ten years ago, would I ever think that I'd lead the sales team? I would have said absolutely not, because to your point, no one really seems to move from marketing into sales. You see a lot of sales leaders move over into marketing, but not vice versa. And really for me, what happened was I've always been throughout my career really close to sales. So I've always believed in this really tight relationship between sales and marketing. And when I joined Limivate four years ago, same thing happened. 
And because of my experience in mobile, I have more than a decade of native mobile experience. What started to happen is I was being involved in a lot of sales calls, um, really helping as they were talking to prospects or helping customers think about their mobile strategy a little bit differently and how to use their platform. And so when our VP of sales left, it was kind of like a natural, I guess at the time I didn't think about it, um, our CEO did. And he asked me if I would be interested in taking over the sales team. And it kind of hit me. I've kind of been part of that all along. And I've been the one that's been helping close deals. And at the time I'd been there about two and a half years. So it really made sense. Um, I think, you know, the hardest part is the perception that people can have with it, right? Is, you know, I've never owned a number, like as an individual account executive, never carried a bag, as you might say. But I've always believed that marketing owns the number in addition to sales, right? Like I am not successful as a marketing leader unless we hit our revenue target for the year, not just my portion that I'm supposed to contribute to, but the entire thing. So, you know, becoming an owner for that, for the entire company, when I led the sales organization was not a big change to me because I've always thought of it that way. So what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned so far? Just running. Oh gosh. Um, they're very different. <laughs> just personalities, right? That you have with marketers versus um, sell, your sales team. A lot of the best sales team, they want frameworks of what to use. You know, they wanna understand how your pricing is structured, how they can scope services, you know, what your kind of qualification method is, but they want the ownership to be able to run it within, you know, their own perspective. Because that's the great thing about exceptional sales salespeople is they all have their own kind of flavor to it and they're very different. Whereas I think on the marketing team, you also have you know, a similar thing where people wanna be creative, but I think the difference is you know, they really wanna align on messaging, right? So your entire team wants to be kind of like saying like, okay, this is how we talk about the company and every across every channel, we use that language. Whereas you know, if you look at your sales organization, it's really hard to get all of your sales team to say the exact same thing, right? Like they're never gonna give the same presentation the exact same way. They're always gonna talk about it a little bit differently. And so I think part of it is, you know, as a marketer, I'm like, you know, at first, oh, but that, but that's that's not how we talk about it. Like when we do this slide, we, we say it this way. And I think it's, you know, been a great exercise in me learning to let go and realize there's a lot of ways to say the same message using different words that fit someone's personality better. and really what sales is about is developing relationships. And the only way you can do that is if you're being your authentic self. And sometimes using the marketing crafted language is not how you would talk to someone and that's okay. So I think that's been like the, one of my biggest learning lessons is, you know, some of the maybe structure and rigidness that we have with marketing around messaging, you have to kind of, as Elsa says, let it go. <laughs> So since you have worked separately in marketing and now you have the, the, the organization on one team, what are some of the advantages of having a single team rolling up to an owner? And then what are some of the disadvantages of it? Yeah, so a big advantage is, you know, there is no one to point fingers at. You know, the buck stops here. And I think that is a huge advantage for a lot of reasons. I've been in other organizations, even when sales and marketing have been closely aligned and when, you know, numbers are slipping or, you know, you're halfway through the quarter and you're not where you need to be yet. There tends to be, regardless of how great the relationships are between the two departments, something you're pointing, right? 
or, you know, like, Hey, I passed these leads over to sales and sales didn't follow up with them as quickly as possible or marketing gave me crappy leads, right? Like you, that's very common stuff that you hear. Well, here's the thing. I, none of that is valid <laughs> because ultimately I oversee both teams and therefore if there's a problem, you know, that's on me. So the only person I can look at is myself in the mirror. I think that's one big advantage. I think the other one is, you know, being able to own the customer experience. So, you know, from the first time you hear about Limavate to in the sales cycle, I also oversee customer success support and product, you know, to when you're onboarding with us, when you're using our product, it allows us you to have a really consistent experience. Because one of the things that sometimes can happen, no matter how well you are aligned, is your marketing can be, you know, maybe perhaps is very, you know, fun and playful language. And then you get in the sales conversation or in customer success and it's different. It feels different. It almost feels like you're talking to a different company. And I don't think people realize like how disjointed that can be for a customer. And so being able to have like really, you know, oversight into all those teams allows me to ensure the experience is very consistent. I think the disadvantage is, I mean, I'm responsible for the company <laughs> in a lot of ways, right? Um, no pressure. All the, yeah. No pressure, right? No the pressure. revenue, I mean, the buck stops here. And so I think sometimes people say, you know, even when you've owned sales before, I talk to people who maybe own sales, but it's, you know, they're structured around new bookings, right? And then they still they have a separate maybe customer success team that owns renewals. Well, then there's two people that are responsible for revenue. And then you have your marketing leader, right? So it's like the three of you. Well, for me, it's, it's me. Yes, my team is responsible as well. But ultimately, I'm responsible for making sure that we hit our numbers, which means that, you know, we're constantly moving at the growth rates that we have. And it's a lot of, a lot of pressure um, for a single person to be, to be under. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize is sometimes they think that leadership is fun. And it is a lot of fun, but it also is, is stressful, right? Um, at the same time, <laughs> right? Um, it's so funny. I talk to people, especially I mentor a lot of people that are younger. And one of the things that they always talk about is like growing up, you know, up the career ladder. And, and I always tell them, yes, it's great. And especially if you love to lead teams and you love to mentor people, it is so much fun, but it's hard. And what you don't realize is, you know, as you grow up, go up your up the ladder in an organization and in your career, there are less and less people for you to talk to about the challenges that you have, right? Um, so that's another thing I think that you know, overseeing all all of these groups, there are very few people that have that similar role in other organizations. Um, I happened to talk to one yesterday, and I was like shocked by it because I was like, "You're like the first one I've met that's like me," um, and it's it's helpful because it's while I can relate to everyone at an individual department level, it's hard for someone to relate to everything that I experience every day. It does get harder, right? And you have less people to talk to. So there's a lot yeah. of times it can feel lonely. Mm -hmm. You you just want to be able to talk to others and brainstorm and, and share common experiences. And uh, yeah, I, I completely understand that. So what would you uh, tell your younger self? What, what advice would you give you? So I would probably tell myself, um, this happened about 10 years ago. With the first, you know, seven or eight years of my career, I'm from the Midwest, right? And I'm a woman. So I just was very polite and, you know, would ask permission to do my job. And I think that is great. 
And then about 10 years ago, I was sitting in a meeting and I realized an idea that I had shared like months ago was being brought up by someone else. And now it was a great idea. And I kind of just like had it and really started realizing that, you know, I was hired because I'm talented and I know what I'm doing and I'm going to stop asking people if I can do my job the way I think it needs to be done. And so I wish I would have done that sooner because I think I would have been a lot happier. Uh, And part of that's because, you know, one, it gives you it makes you feel much more confident about what you're doing. I also like to move really fast. And so I was always constantly getting frustrated early on in my career, like waiting for someone to tell me it was okay to do what I knew I needed to do. So I wish I would have done that sooner. And I wish other people would do that sooner. I, I think a lot of times with people that tend to be a little bit quieter and more reserved, they definitely have great ideas and because they're, they're good thinkers, but they can get dwarfed sometimes by some people mm-hmm. that are assertive or louder, but you're absolutely right. It's a, it's frustrating. I see this happen too, you know, in, in different workforces and clients that we consult with. And it's just, it's encouraging, right? It's just encouraging people to be more assertive and to share your ideas and then just go pursue them with vigor uh, because right. you have something to say, if you have something to contribute. Well, and that's why I tell like, especially younger team members that, you know, sometimes they're like, well, I'm only two years off school. I'm like, you still have really great ideas. Like you were hired because we believe that you have talent to do this job. I want to hear what you have to say. And the other thing I've realized, and this is about 10 years ago too, is if you do great work, no one tells you to knock it off. No one tells you like not to do what you're doing or to like start asking for permission. And I think that's why if you look at my career, why I've been able to take over so many different areas outside of marketing is because I see problems and I might politely like mention that it's a problem and here's a solution. And if no one does anything, I just start doing it until someone tells me to knock it off. And I'm still really honestly waiting for that day. (laughs) So it hasn't happened yet. No. (laughs) That's good. So I know there's been a... a lot of raging debate in, in marketing over the last few years about what to measure, what not to measure. What are your thoughts on attribution and what marketing should get credit for, especially now since you own both? Do you have a different perspective on it? I do. And I think part of it is, you know, I love data. So let me start there because I'm going to say some things and you're going to question whether or not I like data. I love data. I like to look at numbers. I'm very analytical. But I also think that there is kind of like this death by analytics that we sometimes get into as marketers where we measure too many things and we lose really the big picture, right? And the big picture is, are you driving revenue? And as a leader of both teams, right? Like I'm 100% accountable for that entire number. But the other thing I will tell you is even before I took over sales, I've always seen myself as accountable for driving the number. Yes, I wasn't necessarily the one, you know, not, you know sending out the order forms and DocuSign, right? But if my efforts and from a marketing perspective didn't get us to the pipeline we needed and the bookings targets we needed, then I wasn't doing my job. And that doesn't matter like what channels are performing. It doesn't matter like, you know, what my customer acquisition costs are, all that stuff, because I wasn't doing my job. Like that's the number one thing. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that. Now, as a marketing leader and as a sales leader, I need to know all the details, right? Like I need to know And I'll give you a great example of this. I was talking to someone on my team that runs our paid ad strategy. And we were going over, you know, like typical metrics, right? Acquisition cost, CPC, et cetera, right? And 
figuring out where in May we wanted to change our investment strategy. Like that's a conversation I need to have. No one else outside of my team needs to have that conversation. Like they don't need to know any of that information. Um, what they need to know is, are we on track for our bookings and our, you know, revenue number? And is the amount of money that they've given me for a marketing investment driving that? And then as you think about growth, right? Once you have a lot of repeatability, you can start to say, well, if you gave me X more budget, I could clearly drive X, you know, more bookings and their, you know, pipeline and bookings. And that's really what a true like CMO needs to do. Um, at least when they think about the broader organization. So that's how I think about it. Because otherwise, like if you start getting into that conversation at it, you know, well, who drove this opportunity? It tends to be like, well, marketing, marketing, well, they came to an event and I sent them these emails and sales like, yeah, but I, but like I prospected into them for three months, right? Who gets credit for it? And to me, that's never a good situation in an organization where you're fighting for credit. Hey man, especially since you're supposed to be on the same team, right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, uh, well, you're continuing to have great success and I can see why, uh, you just have such a healthy outlook. You are a problem solver. You don't take no for an answer. So all those good things. Yeah. Um, so for other potential VPs of marketing out there that might want to foray into sales and take on the full revenue mm -hmm. function, what would you tell them? I would say number one, you have to understand sales. And that doesn't mean you have to previously been a sales rep, but you need to be involved in the sales process. So if you're interested in that, like the first thing I would do is I would start to find some of your best reps at your company and ask if you can start just shadowing them on deals. Because the more you understand what their day is really like and what they have to do, one, the better appreciation you have for it, but two, the better prepared you are to lead them. Because I think sometimes people think, Oh, I just, you know, I'll treat them the same way I treat my marketing organization. You can't, their world is totally different. The problems they have are completely different. And the best way for them to trust in your leadership is if you can empathize with what they're going through. And one way obviously is, you know, to have previous experience during it, but the other way is to be in the trenches with them. Great, great advice. Stephanie Cox, thank you so much for being on our program. It was an absolute pleasure today. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. You got it.